Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a big hour coming your way. Admiral James Stavridis, we always love having the Admiral on, not only because his book's a bestseller, looks into the future of the U.S.-China relationship, but U.S. and China are right in the middle of a firestorm uh, over in Alaska, and it's uh, fascinating to see. I cannot wait to get into that with you. And Senator Rick Scott, obviously he's in charge of make, turning that Senate back to red. Uh, he lost both those Senate seats in Georgia. I shouldn't say lost it, but unable to hold it. Therefore, they're now in the majority, uh, minority. And the senator from Florida will be talking about everything, especially what's going on with illegal immigration and how it affects everybody listening to me right now. It's a big day, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What studies do you have? that people that have had the vaccine yeah. or have had the infection are spreading the infection. If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Policy based on conjecture. <laughs> no, you it, have the it isn't based on conjecture. Oh, I, I've, I've been waiting so long to say something like that to Anthony Fauci, but Senator Rand Paul right on the money. The year we shut down the country and the damage, the misinformation from people we just heard from and we counted on most let us down. Now are they getting it right? Six feet, three feet, mask, no mask, wash, wear gloves. It all played out in the Senate. You just heard some of it. How we are coming out of it. More importantly, how it changed you and when you plan on getting your life back on track. Or is it? Number two. So you know Vladimir Putin. You think he's a killer? Mm Mm-hmm. I do. I'm also hearing deep concern with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States economic coercion toward our allies. Not easy, but he did it. The Biden administration ignited explosive clashes with our two big enemies, China and Russia. And within hours of each other, I thought they were supposed to be the savvy, steady hand on the global stage. Oops. Number one. They would be partners in dealing with the crisis on the border. You said crisis on the border. Is, is, was that a... Challenges crisis? on the border. That's not, that doesn't reflect any change in nope. the administration's view of things. Nope. Oops. <laughs> not easy. Uh, but Jen Psaki did slip and did tell the truth. Sorry, it won't happen again. She accidentally admitted we're in a full-blown crisis at the border. The numbers, the facts... Mexico maximizing their leverage to help us. That tells the story. What do I mean by Mexico uh, maximizing their leverage? Evidently, they're going to start cracking down on the border, on their northern border, by cracking down on their southern border, helping us on their northern border. And they're doing it by saying, hey, remember when I asked you two weeks ago for that vaccine and you said, sorry, I can't hear it, must have a bad connection? I kind of need it. And suddenly we're giving it to them, the AstraZeneca one, because I think there's a quid pro quo. I know you hate that term. says... If you get us some vaccine, I'll crack down on the border. The Remain in Mexico policy, kind of liked it under Donald Trump. You should have loved it, but you blew it up. How bad are things at the border? Watch Fox. Listen to Fox. 
They will tell you the truth. We're not blown out of proportion. We're telling the story. Even though the Border Patrol have been told, don't talk to anybody, we will not show you the migrant facility, and they won't call it a crisis. We know better. The administration has over 14,000 unaccompanied minor kids, kids without parents in custody, 4,500 under the age of 18 being detained at holding facilities right now uh, up and down the 2,000-mile border. The Department of Health uh, and Services, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, I didn't know we had a department like that, uh, says we have 9,652 right now. More than 500 of the young migrants have spent more than 240 hours in border facilities. There's a rule. There's a law. We can only keep them 72 hours. I don't even like We shouldn't be keeping them at all. I love kids, but there's a way to come here. This is not the way. And then if you come here and stay here, more kids are going to come. I could figure that out. I'm not a, a Homeland Security secretary. I'm not a Border Patrol agent. You can figure it out. They are pretending like they can't figure it out. The AP uh, cited uh, oil field workers were recently, get this, oil field workers' home, uh, homes and facilities were recently converted into a location for migrant kids to be housed as more space is desperately needed. Now it's sealed for migrant teenagers uh, to the locations. They have been jettisoned to the, to the teens to Dallas, where they're staying uh, in a facility that no one can get into. It's unbelievable. 3,000 migrant teens. Nobody's been tested, by the way, for the coronavirus. Four buses full of teens went to the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center. The teens being housed in Dallas are all boys between the age of 15 and 17. Where do you think they're going to end up? They're going to get a ticket and told to come back. If they were going to leave, they would have left already. We had ways to get them out. We were handling this. And the one thing about the Trump administration, they showed us warts and all, and, and all their enemies went to town with it. But then he fixed it. And then Joe Biden blew it up. Here's Jen Psaki beginning to break under the pressure. Cut one. That they would be partners in dealing with the crisis on the border. You said crisis on the border. Is, is, was that a... Uh, Challenges crisis? on the border. Okay. But so that's not, that doesn't reflect any change in nope. administration's view of things. Nope. So uh, it's a crisis. Uh, Mayorkas goes, uh, the Homeland Security Secretary, I, I don't really get into labels. I get into labels. Thanks. Can you tell the governor of Texas and the governor of Arizona what's going on? Just because they're Republican, they're border state governors, they would like to know details of where these people are going, where they're being tested. So this whole thing, this quid pro quo with Mexico, we know it has something to do with that. They need vaccine. We have a ton of it. We weren't giving it to them. Whether you want to debate whether we should till we're all vaccinated is enough, I think we could probably split the difference between our two neighbors. But now, all of a sudden, it sounds like a quid pro quo. See Jen Psaki try to weave her way out of this. Cut three. This comes, of course, as the United States is talking to Mexico about this border situation. Mm-hmm. Were there any strings attached regarding the situation on the border with this decision to give AstraZeneca doses to Mexico? There are several diplomatic conversations, parallel conversations, many layers of conversations with any every country, Mexico, Canada, Europe, Asia, around the world, and certainly uh, being part of contributing to uh, preventing the spread of a global pandemic is part of one of our diplomatic objectives. Another one of our diplomatic objectives is working to address the challenges uh, at the border. Uh, so it shouldn't be a surprise that those conversations are both ongoing and happening. It's a quid pro quo. All right. Even other, you notice that you don't recognize those voices uh, because they're other than Fox voices. They've been totally shut out. The media is being shut out. And if you have any pride at all, 
you'll say enough about keeping Joe Biden in office and making sure Barack Obama's put on a pedestal. Make sure that the House and the Hunter Biden story never gets presented. Don't, you know, sleep well at night. But at some point, you got to say, I have some pride. I'm being boxed out of the biggest story in the country. As we get on the other side of the pandemic, it's either one or two, one or two. Kim Strassel, Wall Street Journal, cut seven. A complete blackout, and you have to ask yourself why, and obviously it's because they know they have a problem, and the only reason you would do this, the only reason is to minimize or keep people in the dark about the extent of the problem. No question. Please. You can leave Fox alone to do this, but can you actually report a story? This is a crisis. Don't tell me I better wear two masks to go to Walmart at the same time, let tens of thousands of people in our country illegally without getting tests in the middle of a pandemic, where finally we're getting on the other side of this thing while Mexico and South and Central America struggle with it. We shut the border in the North with Canada, but we won't shut the border in the South with Mexico. Where is the logic? If you are a media member, if you don't press on that issue, hand in your media card. Coming up next, one of the perfect, we love having him on every week, but especially now. He wrote a novel, which is among the, on a bestseller list immediately. It imagines a clash between the U.S. and China. That's exactly what happened verbally, maybe a, a, a prequel to what is going to be happening soon militarily where no one wins. I get it. But there's too much at stake to, to dance on the edges. What happened in Alaska yesterday? What did Russia's Vladimir Putin challenge our president to yesterday? And how does Admiral James Stavridis feel about all this? He's a guy that knows the military, came up with the military there for 40 years, went to the highest rankings. Feel a lot better if he was back in government, but I'm so glad he's going to be here next. And by the way, uh, join Dana and me uh, tomorrow. Uh, if you're listening to WOKV especially, WDBO, you're in the vicinity, Gainesville, um, St. Augustine. Uh, VIP tickets uh, with autographed copies are still available, but we're having a major event for Dana Perino's best-selling book. It's number two in the country called Everything Gonna Be Okay. I'm going to interview her on stage. I want you to be able to get out and still have a great Saturday night. So call, go to, um, go to, there we go, floridatheater.com and get your ticket information. I'll be out there and hope to see everybody out. Uh, when we come back, Admiral James Tavita and Senator Rick Scott of Florida. And then we're going to take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Man, I cannot wait to get into this with the Admiral next. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm also hearing deep concern with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States, economic coercion toward our allies. Each of these actions threaten the rules-based order that maintains global stability. That's why they're not merely internal matters and why we feel an obligation to raise these issues uh, here today. Uh, I said that the United States relationship with China will be competitive where it should be, collaborative where it can be, adversarial where it must be. Wow, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, sanctions 22 or 24 officials in China for what they did in Hong Kong prior to the first face-to-face meeting in Alaska yesterday, and then had a series of diplomatic tussles that you never ever see or hear about usually hear them to say according to sources tensions got high behind the scenes we watched it on camera and i have no complaints about the state department's stance and the biden administration's stance against china where they go from here is key admiral james stavridis could actually write a book about u.s china relations now but he wanted to challenge himself he wrote a novel about where they could be in 2034 it's a novel on the next world war he wrote it with elliot ackerman he, uh, the novel imagines the U.S.-China clash in the South China Sea, and it's uh, already on the bestseller list. It's number six. Admiral, congratulations. And, man, did you pick the right time to release this book? It's unbelievable. And, you know, of course, we started writing the book like uh, two and a half years ago. There was no precision in this, but, boy, it landed. And to have it uh, in the midst of the diplomatic uh, tussle that you described, which is really quite remarkable between our Secretary of State and the Foreign Minister of China in front of media cameras. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, Brian. Yeah, okay, so let's get into it. Uh, uh, so, so Blinken's counterpart, uh, Secretary Yang, said human rights in the U.S. were at a low point with black Americans being slaughtered. Sullivan shot back, saying Washington did not seek a conflict with China. We'll always stand up for our principles and for our people. China calls on us to stop interfering with Beijing, considers its internal affairs, and uh, the U.S. of smearing the Communist Party. China is also pushing back against what it sees as U.S. naval encroachment in the South China Sea, uh, which Beijing considers their territory. So you heard their complaint. And by the way, our rhetoric and our politics here bleeding into international affairs is horrifying. It it really is. And, you know, we, we ought to get back to that old 
idea that uh, domestic politics stop at the water's edge. And I will say this uh, in that regard about the Biden administration. They're picking up on a lot of things that the Trump administration did, from the Abraham Accords to uh, taking on Vladimir Putin to the idea that uh, China is the looming tower of our time. And by the way, the novel, 2034, a novel of the next world war, Brian, the opening scene is set in the South China Sea and a collision between a U.S. destroyer flotilla, three U.S. destroyers who end up uh, in a very serious confrontation with the Chinese Navy. So uh, we see how the back and forth goes back. And you always have to say to yourself, especially people in your position, what do you want the outcome to be? Can't make per- don't make it about personalities. What do you want the outcome to be? So I want you to hear what the with the uh, what Secretary Yang said to our guys. China is firmly opposed to U.S. interference in China's internal affairs. We have expressed our staunch opposition to such interference, and we will take firm actions in response. They also asked our first we had the press leave after opening remarks and then we brought him back and then they asked the press to come back. So back and forth. So we know the one thing I did hear that's different. I guess Blinken says instead of trying to stop their 5G and their advancement and their Belt and Road program, we should just do it better uh, and outrun them, outrace them as opposed to stop them. That's somewhat of a nuance. How does that play into this? Uh, I think we need to do both. In other words, we do need to continue the campaign, which the Trump administration started, of going around to our allies and saying, look, you do not want to sign up with Chinese 5G. That's uh, Huawei is the name of the company. And many of our allies uh, took that advice and have backed away. At the same time, we do have to put a better option on the table. And believe me, Silicon Valley is perfectly capable of doing that. You know, sometimes, Brian, people say to me, oh, Admiral, you're right. You know, it's a war of ideas out there. Well, not quite. It's really a marketplace of ideas. Our ideas can compete. Our ideas from technology to human rights, they can all compete. But we got to get out there and put them in the marketplace, get our allies on board. That's the way to approach time. Absolutely. Got the quad. And that was the meeting first with India, yep. Australia, South Korea and Japan was so smart. I'm so hopeful that we continue on that well now in that way. And that's why you can't cut the defense budget. I understand we don't have enough money to get financing all these programs, but defense should not be <laughs> cut real quick. A translation, Vladimir Putin, after being called a killer by Joe Biden in a leading question and then a soulless person in, a, in an interview, listen to what he said. I remember in my childhood when we argued in the courtyard, we used to say, it takes one to know one. As he said, we know each other personally. What would I reply to him? I would say, I wish you health. I wish you health. I say that without any irony or joke. And then he challenged Joe Biden to an hour live international television debate. Admiral, your ball. What's going on here? Well, first of all, this is... uh really two guys who don't like each other. And that's uh, that's part of the reality of international relations. And, you know, to hear the translation of Putin kind of misses the point. If you can look at it, watch the video, look at the look on his face. This guy is a killer. Uh- 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Um, You know, I've met Vladimir Putin. I'll tell you who nailed Vladimir Putin. Uh, You remember when President Bush mistakenly said, hey, I looked in Vladimir Putin's eyes and I saw his soul. I can work with this guy. John McCain looked into his eyes. And someone asked McCain, well, what did you see when you looked in Putin's eyes? And McCain said, I saw three letters, KGB. That's exactly who Vladimir Putin is. Now, having said all that, it's like The Godfather, the greatest book of leadership ever written by Mario Puzo. Uh, Don Corleone at one point says, don't make the mistake of hating your enemies. It clouds your judgment. So we got to just go with Putin, recognize who he is. He's a thug, a killer, pick your word. But we got to go at him and push back on him. That's the key thing. Admiral, for a guy that's been doing this since he was 28 years old, Joe Biden's got to be smarter than that. There's no, we know we don't need him to act tough. Don't be caught in that question. I'll be talking to Vladimir Putin. I'll let you know where we stand. That would have been, to me, the Admiral Stavridis answer. Mm-hmm. Admiral, congratulations on U.S.-China in the South China Sea, that big novel you have, 2034. Go buy it. You will not regret it. You'll be the smartest guy at your dinner party. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You're telling everybody to wear a mask, whether they've had an infection or a vaccine. What I'm saying is they have immunity, and everybody agrees they have immunity. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, it's not. the vaccine and you're wearing two masks. Isn't that theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Let's get down to the facts. When you talk about reinfection and you don't, keep in the concept of variance that's an entirely different ball game that's a good reason for a mask so does that mean we never take it off i love that Rand paul engaged senator fauci they act like he knows the everything when in, in he's winging it and so many times he's contradicted himself and we know this because the actions and his axioms change from month to month we've lived this throughout the year i have had it Senator Rand Paul obviously feels the same way. Senator Rick Scott joins us, uh, Florida's own former governor. Senator, welcome back. Where do you stand on this? Well, you know, <laughs> Fauci has just, I mean, he's been inconsistent. I mean, it's so frustrating. Why can't, why can't they put out consistent information and tell us how they came to those conclusions? That's what's frustrating about this. People, you know, people ask me all the time and, and I say, well, you know, if you listen to Dr. Fauci, he's, I don't, you know, sometimes remember he said, don't wear a mask. I mean, here's a guy that you would know, last March or April, whatever it was, he said, don't even wear a mask. So, but it's, it's, it's frustrating because tell us the information, be consistent, or if you're going to change, tell us why and give us a re- your rationale for it. So uh, I'm, I'm glad Rand Paul, you know, pushes back and stands up to, I mean, all he's saying is, 
okay, if you disagree with me, give me some good information. And he never does. He just says, don't know. This is the fact. Senator, there's nothing wrong with the term, I don't know. <clears throat> right? I mean, where would you have gotten right. in business if you acted like you knew everything every single day of your life? How would you got, got along in the military? You, you have to learn as you get up. And I hear great leaders in the military still ask questions of people underneath them. Well, you have Anthony Fauci. You know what? Do. You, do you know why we went from six feet to three feet, in my humble opinion? In my opinion, Fauci was asked on national television about a Massachusetts study that says six feet and three feet is no different. He goes, yeah, I saw that. I guess you can. You guess we can? That affects every school house in the country. That means we can get out of the gyms and we go back to the classroom or we can go to school for the first time. And now it's not even official. Later this weekend, CDC will change its rules. So much is riding on what they say and affects our lives, Senator. You don't feel it as much because you're in a free state called Florida. Well, it's, it's frustrating, but, you know, all across the country, why don't we have – this thing's been going on for over a year. Why don't we have better information? I mean, it's just – what I've been saying along is whatever we know, put it out so we can all make informed decisions. I mean, what's frustrating to me is, is why, can't, why can't they say, we did a study, this is what happened, or no, we don't know yet, uh, but this is our best advice. No, but they act like, no, they know, they're, they're perfect, and they're not. So this to a $1.9 trillion pass, uh, and all these states are getting money. The higher unemployment, the more money you get. This is your worst nightmare because you were, you were priding oh. yourself as governor, being fiscally responsible, and leaving your state with a surplus and maybe attracting other businesses here. And the high taxes and the high taxes, the high pensions, the given to the unions, that's what was forcing people from New York. Now they're getting billions. California raising taxes, open arms to illegal immigrants. We're not going to uh, open it. We're not going to stop our uh, control of borders at all. They're getting big checks. How does that make you feel? It infuriates me. You know, I'm at the border now. I, you know, I got a briefing yesterday. I came down to Tucson. I got a briefing yesterday for the Air Marine Services. I'm going with Governor Ducey today uh, to go. You know, we're going to go to the border to get better information. But who – doesn't this make you mad? I mean, why in the world would Joe Biden just just open our borders? That's what he's done. He's opened our borders. He says, oh, we're going to have amnesty. So everybody come here. We had 100,000 people apprehended. Think of how many people we didn't find that have come. And we've got now 14,000 children in custody because Joe Biden's policies put, it, put us in a position, put these people in a position of believing that you know, you, anybody can come here. I'm from an immigration state. We like immigration, legal immigration. I mean, this is not that hard. Joe Biden needs to get get down here and see the crisis he's created and and talk to Border Patrol. I talked to two members that they're you know they're on the line uh, last night. I, I talked to them and I mean they're frustrated. They want to do their jobs and they're being hamstrung by by uh, by Joe Joe Biden's policies. I've talked to people that provide ICE facilities. They're just being told, oh, we're shutting them all down. I mean, what what are we doing? It, we didn't vote for this, by the way. This was not what Joe Biden ran on. Uh, and that's if you talk to people, Americans want a secure border. All right, they want they want respect for people, but they you need to come here legal. Think about all the millions of people who come here legal, and they say, uh, you know, oh no, anybody else they can, you can just come here legal. We're going to give you illegally. We're going to give you amnesty. There should be zero tolerance for illegal immigration. 
Here's Alejandro Mayorkas, who will not admit this is a crisis. By the way, we know it's a crisis. Griff Jenkins is down there. You're down there. He took a ride with Senator Rob Portman, I know you respect, uh, of Ohio. We have drones showing people coming in. And these are the people that are turning themselves in, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, not the ones who are trying to sneak in. Here's Mayorkas. He's getting getting some questions. Cut four. There appears to be a more lenient standard for foreign nationals crossing our border illegally than for American citizens. Can you assure the American people that no one who has been apprehended um, is released into our communities with uh, that still test positive for COVID-19? Um, uh, Congressman, let me be, be, let me be clear. Uh, there were times earlier when individuals um, were apprehended and we sought to expel them and we were unable to expel them, and we were compelled to release them, and we did not have the opportunity to test them. We have addressed that situation. No, you haven't. They're still untested because you wouldn't even show us the inside. Do you believe that, uh, Senator? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is Congressman Clyde. I, they wouldn't let me go in, 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 these, in these places. They're not letting the media in and see what's, see what's going on. By the way, if you listen to Border Patrol, what they're telling you is, is the cartels will flood the area with, with children, Unaccompanied minors. So the Border Patrol, you have to spend all their time doing that. And then, then they'll send all the guys, the people that are coming here intentionally, illegally from all over the world, right? We, we, there's reports of terrorists coming in. And, and, and Joe Biden is just sitting in the White House like, you know, gosh, nothing's happening. Get his rear down here and, and, find, and get, tell the American public what he's going to do to solve the problem he, he created, secure the darn border. Uh, so we have a, a situation where they won't admit there's a problem, but there's a huge problem where they're calling states like yours, Neanderthal states that don't have a max mandate that make people uh, make their own decisions. And maybe like Connecticut, because they have released all the restrictions, it seems like Nebraska. But at the same time, they tell without telling the governor of Texas what's going on at the border. They're taking over facilities and expanding footprints. What's going on with the Democratic president refusing to talk to Republican governors? President Obama did the same thing. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't. They, they, I mean, when Obama was there, he wouldn't tell. He, when I was governor of Florida, he wouldn't tell us anything he was doing. Remember they were releasing um, uh, Syrian uh, you know, immigrants sure. into my state and not telling us. They wouldn't tell us where. They wouldn't tell us their background. They wouldn't tell us what history they had. They, would, I mean, they wouldn't tell us. Anything they they told me on they told me I had, did not have a right to know what was happening in my state. I Senator, mean, this uh, is this is wrong, and that's why you have said governors calling and the governor you're going to be with today, Ducey, a Republican too. Uh, he's not getting communication. You see the wall half done. These workers literally dropped their hammers and were immediately unemployed. About five thousand were building the wall that we paid for. The money is sitting in our account, and and this is a personal political move by the guy that's supposed to be above it all, seventy-eight year old Joe Biden. How? First off, how can that be legal? I mean, if Congress appropriates the money, all right, you have to follow the law, all right. What I told people when I became governor of Florida, whether I like the laws or not, we're enforcing all the laws. The legislature will change them if you want them changed. The president has to enforce the laws. We've asked uh, a bunch of Republican uh, senators, we've asked GAO to tell us, 
Are they is is the Biden administration complying with the laws or not? I asked my orcas. I said, "Are you?" When he was when when I interviewed him before the vote, I said, "Are you going to enforce the law?" He said he would absolutely enforce the law. I cannot believe they're enforcing the law. Senator Rick Scott, a couple other things, uh, real quick. I want to go over. This is Senator Dick Durbin on getting rid of the filibuster, which would allow anything that passes the House to get right through the Senate. Listen, today's filibuster has turned the world's most deliberative body into one of the world's most ineffectual bodies. It's not the guarantor of democracy; it has become the death grip of democracy. So, because they don't want to get try to get sixty votes, they did beg Trump not to get rid of it, and now what? Brian, they're hypocrites. When when Trump got elected and Republicans had a more majority the Senate, the Democrats all said, oh, no, 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 don't get rid of this filibuster. Now that we have a Democrat president, it's a 50-50 Senate, and Harris can, can um, um, break the tie, oh, we got to get rid of the filibuster. So, I mean, these guys are absolute hypocrites. I mean, they just want power. This but how can awesome. you stop it? Everything they're doing is about power. They're going to they talk about reforming the filibuster, having different categories, for example, civil rights and voting that would change need a simple majority. So uh, what could you do to stop this? Well, uh, Mitch McConnell was clear on the floor. I mean, look, they want to do this. All right. I mean, then nothing will happen in the Senate. First off, they need they need us to show up to have a quorum. All right. They they you know, everything in the Senate. So you will not show up. You just won't show up mean, to the Senate. They they need us, they need us there if they want to get something done. They they then also on top of that, everything in the Senate is done by unanimous consent. So we can slow everything down. That's not what Republicans want to do. We didn't do this. We didn't do this to them. The reason you have the filibuster is to make sure the minority party has an influence on the final legislation. They have been very clear. They have no interest in talking to Republicans. Remember, remember when the ten Republicans went over to meet with Biden? Zero yep. interest in talking to us about about that the so-called stimulus bill, which has nothing to do with the COVID, has nothing less than nine percent to do with COVID, less than one percent to do with vaccines. So they just want power and, and and have a radical agenda, and they're going to try to completely change this country. And it's not what the American public um, public agreed on. We have a fifty-fifty Senate. We don't have a seventy-thirty or eighty-twenty Senate that's Democrat. I, we didn't all vote for open borders. Believe me, Donald Trump was begging you guys to get rid of the filibuster, and Mitch McConnell said no. And lastly, I, I hope they do something about this because I wouldn't mind stuff getting done and having some compromise, legitimate compromise. That would right. help bring this country's temperature down in a way they don't even understand. Uh, real quick, I want you to hear the, a whistleblower with the nursing homes with Governor Cuomo, who somehow is still holding on to his job. He came out and talked about how he put up his hand and said, we cannot put infected patients back in these nursing homes. Listen. I said that's ridiculous. We can't be doing this. You vocalized that. I did vocalize it. We weren't allowed, we were told, please don't send us your sick patients. There were multiple hospitals that were threatening. That were saying, don't bother sending us your patients. Many, many facilities vocalized it. They were petrified. But they were more petrified of the Department of Health. Once it was shot down, I never spoke again. 5,000, they said, died. It was 10,000 they admitted to, and they found out it was over 15,000 because of that decision to put infected patients back. That's what people like Janice Dean, Senator Scott, are saying that Governor Cuomo should be held accountable for. I know you don't like him personally, but you know the job as governor. You have to make tough, quick decisions in tough situations. 
Do you think that's an impeachable offense? It's wrong. I mean, I, I just, I can't, um, I don't know what the, the Constitution of New York says, but gosh, I mean, shouldn't he at least apologize? I mean, shouldn't he go on television and said, boy, we screwed up. We just didn't have good information. We made big mistakes. And, but, but he won't tell because they forced it on it. They forced it on these nursing homes. I mean, he, I mean you, may, you can't be perfect, but he will not acknowledge that people died because of his stupid decision. Same with uh, Governor Wolf, same with uh, the governor of Michigan, oh, yeah. uh, and same with Governor Murphy. Wolf did it. Wolf did it. And, and why aren't they – why is anybody talking about what they did? I hope they will because those people – I mean, look, we're still trying to find out of the pandemic. That's how we started this segment. We were getting some bad advice. But when you cover up and lie and diminish people that question you, and then when it turns out the people that questioned you were 100% right and you were lying, I don't think you should be governor anymore. Uh, he's a and, bully. He's a he's an absolute bully. Right. right. I, I got elected the same time he did. He's a, he's been a bully the same the whole Does he, time. Did he try to do that with you? Uh, he 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 never t- you know he never talked to me. Um, I mean, he was always mad because I'd go up there and try to recruit uh, companies to come down to Florida. Uh, right. So he would attack me in the press whenever I went up there to do that. But I said, I said, I said look, why are you guys here for in New York? He's raising your taxes. You can't open a business. You can't expand here. You, your employees don't do well here. Come to Florida. We love business. We have lower taxes, less regulation, better roads. You know, we have number one higher education system, better K-12 schools. And so right. what are you doing? And so what happened is people start coming, and now they're, they're continuing to come. I only have 20 seconds. Senator Nelson heading up, uh, former Senator Nelson, you took his seat. Do you think he should head up NASA? The good choice? I've got a lot of questions for him. <laughs> Okay, uh, because we're depending on NASA to go to the moon and Mars. All right, thanks so much, Senator <laughs> Rick Scott. See ya. All right, uh, back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Now, when President Harris and I took uh, a virtual tour of a vaccination center in Arizona not long ago, one of the nurses on that on that tour injecting people giving vaccinations said that each shot was like administering a dose of hope wow what a moving story that started horrendously president harris president harris that's the fear that everybody has by the way the only thing more fearful uh, for those who want to see a, a healthy america is uh, Joe Biden saying, good night, everybody, and we have President Harris. There was a reason why she couldn't get, even get to a primary. She couldn't run a campaign. She did not know the issues, and she was flip-flopping on everything in her background, in her past. She used to be tough on crime. Then she got weak on crime. Then she wanted an open border. Then she wanted to get rid of private health care. She did not know anything, and she couldn't even set up a staff. And he's done this twice. In fact, do we have other examples of Joe Biden, even though Politico says he hasn't had any gaps, of making some? I want to thank the, the, the uh, former general. I keep calling him general, but my, my, uh, the guy who runs that outfit over there. 
the vast majority of economists, left, right, and center, from Wall Street to the to the private private uh, 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 economic uh, polling initiatives. Now, am I supposed to speak, or is Swathi going to say something? <laughs> and they said he has no gaps. Uh, meanwhile, make sure to join me, WOKV listeners, WDBO listeners in Jacksonville. Dana Perino's book, I'm going to interview her on stage. Go to floridatheater.com, get some tickets. Can you imagine a live event with a live audience, 700 plus? It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, located in New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Talker said we're the fifth biggest show in the country, and I am not one to argue. I do want to say, too, I appreciate everyone uh, being supportive of the show and continuing to listen. Radio's going up through a pandemic at a time in which a lot of people aren't in their cars as much. We find that fascinating, astounding. It's an honor. Rich Lowry is going to be with us shortly. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by Mayor Francis Suarez. He's the 33rd mayor of the city of Miami who is experiencing a boom right now. They're getting a lot of the tech companies moving down there, but they're also experiencing spring break. And they're getting criticism in Florida for going to spring break. We're on the other side of this right now. I got to find out how the mayor feels because him and the governor have not agreed on a lot. But, man, that governor... Uh, He has got a fundraising apparatus right now that is phenomenal. He's getting a lot of respect, and a lot of his policies are really working out. I'm talking about Governor Ron DeSantis. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection... Isn't it just theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Policy based on conjecture. No, you it, have the it isn't based on conjecture. Uh, I am so glad Rand Paul is engaging him. The year we shut down the country, the damage, the misinformation from the people we counted on, they all let us down. Why are they? Why do we believe they're getting it right now? It all played out, as you just heard on the Senate floor, as Rand Paul spoke for a lot of us who are frustrated that Anthony Fauci has put it on a pedestal and he gets so much wrong. How are we coming out of it? How have you changed? And when now that the pandemic uh, hopefully is in our rearview mirror? Number two. So you know Vladimir Putin. You think he's a killer? Mm-hmm. I do. I'm also hearing deep concern with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States economic coercion toward our allies. Not easy, but he did it. The Biden administration ignited explosive clashes with two global enemies in within, within a day of each other, China and Russia. I thought they were supposed to be the savvy, steady hand on the global stage. Number one. They would be partners in dealing with the crisis on the border. You said crisis on the border. Is, is, was that a... Challenges on the border. That's not, that doesn't reflect any change in nope. administrations view of things. Nope. Of course it does. We know it's a crisis. You can play word games. 
Saki, uh, Jen Saki slips and tells the truth. She accidentally admitted there's a full-blown crisis at the border. The numbers, the facts, and how Mexico is maximizing their leverage in order to get the help show the story. What are they doing? Mexico says, yeah, I saw the border's out of control. You reversed the remain in Mexico policy, right? You're, you reversed a lot of what the other guy did, who we kind of liked. And if you want us to help, we need some vaccine. And they did it. How Trumpian. Joining us now is Rich Lowry. Uh, you know Rich. He is the editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. He wrote just about everything that matters, about everything that matters right now, how Trump got control of the border, how Democrats will regret the filibuster, and how we cannot count on Joe Manchin. Rich, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Hey, congratulations on being number five. Hey, thanks, man. I know, hopefully. Uh, I, so I'd, I'd, be, I'd be pleased to be number five in anything right now. Rich, we, my goodness, you've been number one <laughs> since you're like 20 years old. You've been a national figure. Are you kidding? You're the wonder kid. Uh, so, hey, Rich, I, I got to ask you first off on uh, on this clash with Russia. I want you to hear what Joe Biden said in an interview, a leading question from George Stephanopoulos about Vladimir Putin. He was just simply asked about Vladimir Putin. Anybody would know, Rich, I haven't been president yet. I got to check my resume. But if you're asked that question and have to deal with a country, for example, with Afghanistan, for example, with Iran, why tick them off for no apparent reason to impress George Stephanopoulos? Listen to this exchange. So you know Vladimir Putin. You think he's a killer? Mm Mm-hmm. I do. So what price must he pay? The price he's going to pay, well, you'll see shortly. And he goes on to say the guy's got no soul. Is that really necessary? I mean, look, yeah, I, I mean, is I that is that things, a necessary thing? I think all those things are true. doesn't mean necessarily that you, you should say them. Uh, I think we should be very tough on, on uh, our, our Russia policy. But there's a reason why you have diplomatic speak, you know, at times. And sometimes uh, saying that the truth isn't isn't prudent. You don't need to, to air it all out necessarily. So my worry with, with Biden is that we'll hear a lot of tough talk to uh, – you know, please the media, but then actually, the, uh, as a practical matter, it won't. The policy won't be very tough. I am encouraged by Anthony Blinken. I am encouraged about the 22 being sanctioned, who steamrolled Hong Kong. I, you know, I am encouraged that he's calling out for the genocide that's taking place uh, with the with the Uyghurs. So I have no, I have no problem with the policy and the confrontation that that uh, you know almost looked like a reality show yesterday, as China. And uh, Anthony Blinken and company clashed. Here is Anthony Blinken calling out, calling out the Chinese to their face in Alaska. I'm also hearing deep concern with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States, economic coercion toward our allies. Each of these actions threaten the rules-based order that maintains global stability. That's why they're not merely internal matters and why we feel an obligation uh, to raise these issues uh, here today. Uh, I've said that the United States relationship with China will be competitive where it should be, collaborative where it can be, adversarial where it must be. So are you, are you surprised about uh, the directness there? Uh, I, I'm pleased by it. Uh, I am a little surprised. This was a big worry that Biden would backslide back into the failed consensus on China. They, they actually have seen fairly tough, seemed fairly tough. And I, I have no problem whatsoever with the U.S. Secretary of State speaking, frankly, in those kind of terms. Uh, and I hope they will hold up to it. But China did something that Russia did. They brought up racial unrest in our country. They called the with African-American, with blacks in America are being slaughtered. 
and then they brought up Black Lives Matter. So you guys have such a global perspective, Rich Lowry. Have you ever remembered domestic issues that we're, I'm almost embarrassed that the way the juvenile way in which they're talked about here now hurting us with our enemies and maybe our allies? Well, th- th- this is what totalitarian states have always done about the United States. They, they've criticized us and then tr- tried to draw an analogy uh, between th- their own much, much worse sins. The Soviet Union, you know, one of the most repressive regimes in world history, did this routinely with regard to civil rights. Now, at that time, we, we had a lot of problems with civil rights and a lot of progress still to be made. So, so this is a uh, classic. But in, in this case, uh, they're, they're picking up a lie about America that we tell about ourselves yep. that you hear all the times uh, in, in the streets and, and on the media. And it's it's distressing to hear it repeated back and used against us by by these hideous foreign governments. Rich, we're, we're embarrassed pulling down statues of our own past. Why would our enemies respect us if we don't respect our own history? Yeah, this I mean, this is one of the something that's probably unprecedented throughout world history usually you lie about your adversaries you lie about foreigners you know <laughs> you, you make unfounded criticisms of them we're doing it about ourselves and about our own history and a country that you know can't tell the difference between john c calhoun and abraham lincoln is in deep trouble deep trouble uh yes one's a raging racist and uh, one uh saved our country a little bit of a difference rich let's talk about what's happening at the border jen Psaki slipped cut two our first priority remains vaccinating the U.S. population. Uh, the reality is that, but the reality is, the border knows no uh, the the uh, pandemic knows no borders, uh, and ensuring our neighbors can contain the virus is a mission critical uh, step. Is mission critical to ending the pandemic. She wants us to wear two masks. Uh, we we're going to we're in Neanderthal state if we decide not to have a mask mandate, but you could come from another country and you're not going to be tested. And later, she admitted this. Cut three. This comes, of course, as the United States is talking to Mexico about this border situation. Mm -hmm. Were there any strings attached regarding the situation on the border with this decision to give AstraZeneca doses to Mexico? There are several diplomatic conversations, parallel conversations, many layers of conversations with any every country, Mexico, Canada, Europe, Asia, around the world. So, So and I'll just cut this off. So Jen slipped and called it a crisis and walked back, says there's no difference. Number two, she now, we are now giving AstraZeneca vaccine to Mexico, who is begging for it. They did a Trump move. They used leverage. Say, you want us to control the border yeah. like we were controlling it? Give us some vaccine. And we gave into yeah. the, we gave into it. Yeah. So it, it is, it's obviously a crisis. They all know it's a crisis, even though they won't say it. And so it's inevitable that someone was going to slip up. And it's just hilarious. The clip of, uh, I was listening to it earlier at the top of this thing. It was just hilarious. It's just hilarious when she tries to pull it back. No, a challenge. A challenge. Oh, a challenge is the same thing as a crisis. Whatever. They, they've blown a hole in a, a Trump system at the border that worked without knowing what was going to take its place. And what they're going to try to do, obviously, now is get the Northern Triangle and Mexican in uh, Mexico to try to, in, in effect, export our border control to them. And great, you know, it, it'd be wonderful if Mexico does more, but they're not going to do it for free. And Trump kind of threatened them into cooperating and ended up getting amazing tariffs. cooperation. May, yeah, tariffs and closing the border with the Northern Triangle countries as we're cutting off your foreign aid. So maybe, you know, um, 
Biden can use the carrot to do the same thing. But I think the, the Mexicans will want to know that we're serious about it ourselves because they have to use resources. They have to use political capital can, to control their border and to keep migrants from transiting their country. They're not going to do it if, if we're saying they all, all can. But if they get here, they can all come into the United States. Uh, plus, that just doesn't make any sense. You realize that Jen Psaki said any kid that gets here gets to stay if they have a note in their pocket. Do you know what kind of go sign that is to every country with kids? Of course. And in the media in Central America is obsessed with U.S. border policy. So all this is reported. All of it's followed. And then every time someone comes here and gets in, word goes back to his neighborhood, to his village. And uh, people that tips people over into to coming uh, again. So we're going to we already know we're going to have a huge surge. There's nothing uh, that's happened that's uh, going to reduce that surge yet. So uh, we're, we're just going to get overtopped uh, and they're going to have to open even more facilities, makeshift facilities at the border and around the country. Three thousand teens in the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center in Dallas never even talked to the governor. You believe that? And then you have 9,562 at the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Refugee Resettlement. And then the, most of these kids have been kept, on average, more than 500 of the young migrants have spent over 240 hours in the border facilities. I'm not good in math. Is that more than the 70 they're allowed? Can, can you, do you have a pen there? I mean, remember how the Trump people yeah. were vilified? How dare you do that to children? They won't even let us get a camera in. Border Patrol is not allowed to protect, are not allowed to talk yeah. to us. Do you believe this? It's com- yeah, it's completely, completely outrageous. And the, the reason why we don't keep them in, in border control uh, facilities more than 72 hours or try not to is because they're, they're cages, basically, right? I mean, they're not, not meant to house children over the, the long term. But this just goes if, if you get enough numbers, it's going to be overwhelm you no matter what, and, which is why you should try to control the numbers from the beginning. And we had a system in place that had it under control, and he blew it up for no reason except for pure ideology and hatred of, of everything Trump did. So here's the thing. Their movement is the, the, the Trump, the border was broken when we got the job. Do you believe the American people buy that? Well, they shouldn't. I mean, it's completely false. So one, we had the Remain in Mexico program, which said, you show up, you want to apply for asylum. Okay, you stay in Mexico and we'll process it. In fact, we'll expedite it. We'll process it as, as fast as possible. And if you're a legitimate asylum seeker, which most of them aren't, We'll let you in. We'll welcome you to the American family. That's great. But if you're not, if you're a bogus asylum seeker, which the majority are, you stay in Mexico, you go home. That worked. Then this Title 42 during the pandemic, which just said you show up, we're turning you around and sending you home, which most people assume think that's the way it works or should work. Um, that that uh, was highly effective as well. And Biden's ended remain in Mexico, and he's blown this hole in Title 42 that says it does, no longer applies to minors. So, of course, that message get, gets uh, sent to everyone, and, you, and, of course, you have a surge of minors because these migrants, you know, they might be, might be desperate, but they're rational people, and they'll respond to incentives. And if they know they have to make a dangerous journey and spend money to do it, and they're going back, they're not getting, others aren't going to do it. If they know they're going to get in, more of them are going to come. Two things. Why don't you believe Republicans can count on Joe Manchin to push back on the filibuster and make it be a 60 vote margin in the Senate? You know, I, I hope I'm wrong and I hope Manchin is a rock on this. He, he's he's w- shown some wiggle. I just think he's going to com- be completely hammered. He's going to be called a racist. He's going to be called a sexist. 
And those of us on the right are used to this. You know, this happens to us every single day. It's much more uncomfortable for a Democrat, even a relatively moderate Democrat like Joe Manchin. So I, I wish there were more margin uh, for error than than just Joe Manchin. Um, but I, I worry about it. Cinema, Senator Cinema. Yeah, you know, um, I, I'm just not sur- sure she, she's sounded uh, okay to this point, but I'm not sure if Manchin buckles whether she'll stay strong as well. And the play, what they're going to do is say, look, HR one is the civil rights uh, bill of our time, and uh, racists want to stop it. A racist tactic, the filibuster that's been used for racist purposes throughout its history, is being used to stop it. You're in effect a racist if if you don't want to change this, and that that's going to be. Uh, uh, it's going to put a lot of heat on them. Uh, uh, maybe they'll withstand it. I hope they'll withstand it, but th- the pressure will be immense. It's essentially nationalizing elections. Is that going to be? Is that going to stand up to constitu- uh, constitutional scrutiny? I think a lot of it wouldn't, but you never know. You know where the court's going to come down, and uh, it's it's not just the constitutional duty of justices to uphold the constitution. It's the the duty of everyone in the system, and that that's why Republicans have to be four square against this thing. Uh, yeah, they got to find a way. Uh, and you said they'll have to regret it if they do, uh, if they do get rid of the filibuster. They did last time. Uh, Rich, out of the National Review, I always appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Brian. Have a great weekend. You got it. one 408 7669 When we come back, your calls. And then Mayor Francis Suarez of Miami, up-and-coming political star, will talk about spring break in his city. Is he nervous? Questioning Everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. one 408 7669 We have great guests coming up. We go to the, one of the uh, fastest rising stars in, in politics, uh, Republican mayor of Miami, shortly. But now you, Ron, listening on KSLM in Oregon. Ron. Hey, Brian, I'm going to say this. Uh, our president right now is, in my opinion, he's more of a progressive segregation. He's a combination of Wilson and a, and a combination of uh, Johnson. I mean, everything he's doing, whether it's against Russia, appeasing the situation, not taking care of our people here in our own country. He's using divisiveness under the COVID situation. It, in my opinion, as a black American, I have Cherokee and I do have Irish bloodlines based on genetics. <laughs> Very little, but some. As an American, Reverend King did not say be judged by color, be judged by a content of the character. And yet this man and everybody, including my governor and my state, the most 16 most liberal states in this country yep. are the one with the highest case, have the lowest cases. Oregon has one of the lowest cases. But yet they treat us like dogs. They go through, and if you have an independent thought, they don't want to hear it. They'll deny you, whether it's legislatively in the state or nationally, but they want to keep pushing their agenda and then say that they're doing you a favor. This is no different than basically having having the Taliban, unfortunately, running our country. Uh, not that severe. Nothing's like the Taliban. But I would say that every has to be race. For example, that horrific shooting in Atlanta. 
This guy was killing, he was a sex addict, nothing to do with Asians. They quickly have to say Asia, uh, violence against Asians has to stop. Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We keep our guard up stick together and stick with the science, we can look forward to a 4th of July that feels a bit more normal. With small groups able to gather for cookouts in backyards and when we be, where we began to declare our independence on Independence Day from the virus. Right. Small cookout in a backyard. Can't wait for that. As if I haven't had a million of them already. And I'm on Long Island. Can you imagine what they're doing in Florida? Uh, can you imagine what they have been doing? Because they look at a lot of what's coming out of Washington, a lot of these so-called health experts and what they're pushing. And a lot of this turns out to be against the facts as they ended up. Maybe they're giving their best efforts, but the regulations that come out are ruining people's lives. That isn't the case in Florida. It is truly the land of the free. Mayor Francis Suarez is part of that. He's the 33rd mayor of the city of Miami uh, and getting a lot of accolades by attracting a lot of businesses and responsibly keeping his city open. But, Mayor, you have your hands full right now because it's spring break. <laughs> yeah, it's a different phenomenon for sure. Uh, we have a, a lot of people uh, coming in from out of town, um, particularly going to the beach uh, and having a good time. Uh, thank God we haven't seen uh, any uh, sort of negative trends at this particular moment. We've, uh, you know, we're still seeing a reduction in our percent positivity in our number of cases. Hospitalizations are somewhat flat over the last couple of weeks, but uh, that's to be expected with uh, the volume of people that are that are here. And you know, obviously we are we are vaccinating a tremendous amount of people in the community, um, and so we're we're hopeful that very soon, um, you know, we're not going to have to be uh, hopefully talking about uh, uh, coronavirus much longer. So, Mr. Mayor, I know sometimes you thought you've, Florida has been too free, right? You know, the only thing I, I thought uh, was that we could have and maybe stayed with the uh, mask in public rule just a little longer because, you know, one of the things that, I, that I'm not a fan of that uh, our county may impose was a curfew. And I would have preferred, uh, instead of having a curfew, which actually does hurt businesses because they have to close arbitrarily at midnight, um, you know, if you're a business that's, uh, that's doing everything right, there's no reason why you should have to close at midnight. At the same time, if you're a business that's not doing things right, you shouldn't be open. Um, and so for me, I thought that was arbitrary. So I would have preferred to have a little more teeth in the mask and public rule um, and, and, and not have the curfew. So that's what I would have changed that one thing. That's sort of a nuanced thing that I would have done differently because we saw some results, a lot of results, when we had the, the fine for the mask in public. But, uh, you know, listen, it, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I think overall, like you said, we're getting a lot of accolades right now for being open when a lot of other cities were closed. And, you know, we, we've seen a tremendous influx of, of business, of companies moving, of people saying they've had it with uh, high tax, high crime cities. And that's something that, uh, you know, we're taking advantage of. You uh, retweeted a Wall Street Journal op-ed that said New York's hot export people. 
you're getting a lot of those people. And some in Miami, I understand, are nervous that New York's high taxes, the wealth, the, the social welfare uh, that really sucks the profit, at, uh, sucks the, uh, the money out of a lot of people's livelihoods, will be brought. That blue state attitude will be brought to a red state of Florida. You consider yourself a conservative nonpartisan. Are, do you have the same concern? I, I kind of don't, and I'll tell you why. You know, my family came from Cuba, and, the, you know, people that came here in the 1960s and, and, and beyond were fleeing communism. We realized that that system uh, was a false promise, was something that the only equality that I created was equal misery for everyone. And so, you know, I don't see anybody here in Miami who, you know, who left Cuba uh, wanting to recreate that system in Miami. And so my, my, my thinking is that the people that are leaving are basically traumatized. You know, they're traumatized by having to pay an excess amount in taxes. They're traumatized by a government that doesn't want them there. They're traumatized by a government that doesn't serve them. And I just don't I don't see the logic in leaving a place for those reasons and then wanting to recreate them where you go. And, you know, the people that I've talked to don't seem to reflect that attitude. So I'm hoping that, that that's the case, because obviously we want to maintain what we do well in our city, which is continue to invest in policing, continue to keep taxes low and continue to focus on quality of life, which are the three things that I think make a city great. But by the way, that flies in the face of a lot of what we're seeing. I mean, in Ithaca, New York, they're disbanding the police force. In Long Island, they had to have 161 separate meetings with the people about reforms that they are going to put into policing. And we see this going on in New York City. Uh, now that we have, a, we have a police force totally dispirited, we, they can't retire quick enough. But you're saying law enforcement matters. Absolutely. Uh, it matters tremendously. I mean, we have the most police officers we've ever had in our history under my watch. And we just reduced crime last year by 25%. The year before that, we had the lowest homicide rate since 1954. And that's an aggregate number, not adjusted for population growth. So we, we believe that police presence, that having more police officers visible deters people from wanting to commit crime. It's that simple. And so, you know, in addition to that, you know, we, we believe that our law enforcement officers provide a really important services, particularly during a pandemic. You know, when, when you have, um, you know, food lines and you're trying to help people, um, they dedicated this year 200,000 hours to non-police activities, 200,000 hours. Incredible. So yeah, that, you know, our police officers, our firefighters right. are so important. They don't do it to, to put people in cuffs. They do because they want to help people. I can't tell you how many times it's I see incredible. police officers give, give out directions, you know, pr- answer questions about the cities. I mean, they used to be looked at as celebrities a short time ago in New York City. But what I think I admire most about uh, what you're doing and what your state's doing is they want people to act responsible. There'll be problems if you don't, but they're allowing you the freedom to live. They don't say stupid things like if you're in open field by yourself, you better wear a mask or in your car. And Governor Ron DeSantis spoke about that last night on, with, on Laura's show, Cut 27. We obviously have local governments that do certain things, but the reason why some of those places are booming is because I came in many months ago and said, every Floridian has a right to work and every business has a right to be open. You can't close people down. And as soon as we did that, you started to see those places really thrive. But I also think just generally speaking, and this is true going forward, Health guidelines should be advisory. So it's totally fine for a health department to recommend certain things, but you should not have these things 
be mandated. You shouldn't have fines. Heck, Laura, there's some places in the U.S. where they actually could throw you in jail for not wearing a mask. Give me a break. Do you understand that sentiment? Do you echo that? Yeah, you know, I, I think certainly the first part I completely agree with. I think that he um, was right in terms of the fact that, you know, he did something that was sort of counterintuitive, counter-narrative. He took a big chance, and that we benefited tremendously from that. There's no doubt about it. That's indisputable. The second part, I think, you know, he and I, and I've talked to him about this, you know, we maybe see things a little bit different. I, I do think that there's a, there, there is a space for, you know, when you have a pandemic that is, you know, crippling the economy, for saying something like, hey, look, if you don't wear a mask, we're going to fine you because it's like if you're not wearing a seatbelt, we're going to fine you uh, simply because we want to protect everybody, you know, against themselves, if you will. Uh, and, and there has to be some level of cooperation and, 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 and penalty if you don't uh, follow the rules. So to me, I, I understand what he's saying. You know, we, we had some dramatic drops, I think 90 percent when we implemented a mask in public rule. Uh, with a fine. Uh, so that's the only thing where he and I, and I've talked to him about this, we, we have healthy, spirited debates about it, um, where he and I maybe are not completely 100% uh, on the same page. But listen, right. there's there's no way in the world. By the way, when you're wearing a mask in public, all businesses can be open. That's what I love about it. It doesn't affect negatively people's ability to work and people's ability to do whatever they want. Um, it's, you know, so just like, a, you know, uh, wearing a seatbelt doesn't affect right. your ability to drive, you know, and, and go where you want. So but but, you know, listen, I think he, he took some bold uh, positions and, and they worked out. So, you know, t- kudos to him for that. But the best thing is you guys are in school. You people don't understand Absolutely. the damage is done to these kids when they're not in school and the families because they got to stay home from school and watch their kids. They say two million women have lost their jobs voluntarily or been fired because they have to provide daycare because their kids are on Zoom. And now we find out, Mayor Suarez, uh, we're talking to Mayor Suarez of Miami, that you don't have to be six feet apart, three feet. So then some of these classrooms have to be split up. Kids go nine to one and then one to six or five because there was no room in the classrooms. And now we find out, well, yeah, we thought about that. It only needs to be three feet. We'll make it official in a couple of days. You as a as somebody who has to govern a city like Miami, doesn't that drive you nuts that we wasted so much time, so much energy converting gyms, and they didn't even, and they were going off something that couldn't be backed up by the science they told us to follow? Yeah, that's an area where I have to give the governor a lot of credit. You know, he was I think the first one in the country, and he 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 and talk about mandate. He actually mandated that the schools be open. And I think that was definitely a right call. All the science showed that children were not uh, particular spreaders or, or, at, or at a particularly high level of risk uh, from getting coronavirus. Look, I got coronavirus. I was the second person to get it in Dade County. I'm 43 years old. I didn't even have a fever. You know, I've had flus that are significantly worse uh, than it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to demean it or downplay it or, or not say that it's significant, obviously, particularly for the elderly or the immune compromised. It's, it's been a deadly, very deadly disease. Um, and, and my heart goes out to the families of, of, of the loved ones that they lost, including my own family. I lost my wife's grandfather and, and, and I lost a godfather. So it's, it's, it's been tough. But, but I think for, for children and for, for schooling, the governor absolutely hit a home run. You know, I think, I think uh, parents, as you said, particularly parents in lower-income neighborhoods right. and, ho- and households, you know, they were suffering tremendously. They don't have the ability to have, you know, nannies, and they don't have the ability to have, you know, a, a help at, at home or, or, or a tutor. You know, they, they're barely getting by. 
so, um, you know, particularly for that segment of our society, I think he, he really, really did a good job on that. And uh, Mr. Mayor, I, I was able to, you're going to see this feature later, later, but I was able to look at Little Havana and the, that miracle immigration uh, story. And people talk about what, what happened in Cuba when the communist uh, Fidel Castro took over and Cubans, uh, professionals, doctors and lawyers and physicians had to come over and work their way up in our country. The most successful immigration uh, story since the pilgrims. That to me is what the American people embrace. No one says Irish and Italian and Hispanics and African-Americans are better or worse. You work your way up in our country. Did we have we lost that sense of America's great. It's not easy. We have to work. The hard work is rewarded, not guaranteed. Have we lost that work ethic as the money pours in just for waking up? They're talking about universal income in Illinois. How do you feel about that as a Cuban-American? I'm, I'm, I'm frankly disgusted by that concept. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a slow path to socialism and, and, and eventually to communism. Let me tell you something. Communism is, has failed everywhere it's been tried in the history of humanity. And, and I think it's, it's one of the biggest frauds perpetuated on mankind. It's this notion that, that if you just let government control everything, you let government take everybody's property, um, you know, take everybody's business, and we'll just spread it among equally. The, the best example that I can give, and I think this one always hits home, it's as if, and because everyone went to school and everybody worked hard in school, it's as if at the end of the year, um, when the teacher gives out the grades, the A students are forced to have C's, the C students maintain a C, and the F students get a C. So what happens? The A students say, I'm out of here. I'm not going to go to a school that I work hard and gives me a C. I'm going to go somewhere else. You know, the C students say, I'm not even going to work as hard as I'm working now. If the F students are getting a C, why am I going to work this hard? Exactly. And the F students, and the F students just say, you know, I'm getting a C. I'm not going to change anything. I have no, no incentive to work. So everybody gravitates towards the F student effort, and, and, and that's what happens with these countries. Um, you see it time in and time out. It's not just Cuba. It's Venezuela. It's Nicaragua. It's Russia. It's China. I mean, it's, 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 it's everywhere. So um, it's, it's a sad, sad situation when that happens. And uh, I think we need as a country to confront what could happen to us if we go down that path. Right. I mean, we got to go back in our schools and understand that capitalism is the best system. It gives you an opportunity to be successful. There's no guarantees. But along the way, it's the competition and competing and rising and taking the pluses and minuses along the way is what we should relish because so many other countries don't have it. We've never not had it. You could talk to your family and know what it's like not to have it. I think more Americans either got to travel or watch documentaries to find out how great this country is. Not perfect. I got it. But great. Uh, Mr. Mayor, that's why I always loved uh, talking to you. And I look forward for everyone to see our feature on Little Havana, uh, that you were able to walk the streets with us in Miami. And keep everybody safe. That was safe. a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. And I just for the record, there. You got it, Mr. Mayor. Lastly, for the record, you have not seen a lot rise of hospitalizations or positive tests at spring break so far. No, so far so good. So we're keeping our fingers crossed and hoping that that does not uh, counter trend continue. All right, go get it, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Uh, when we come back, we'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to, to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back, everybody. Got a few more minutes. It was always great talking to the mayor. Keep your eye on him. You talk about an up-and-coming star. He is definitely it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Let's go out to Joe. Very patient. Listen to WABC in the Bronx. Joe. Hey, good morning. Uh, just wanted to stress that, you know, for all those people that think that illegal aliens are coming here primarily for job opportunities, I want to stress two things. Number one, the overwhelming majority of illegals are Hispanic. And according to the Pew Hispanic Center, and again, it's not a conservative website. It just, you know, they do objective research. Some 75% of Hispanic households with children in the United States receive some form of welfare, whether immigrant or not. That is the magnet that's driving them to come here, to get on social services and be a drain and a burden on the taxpaying citizens who are lucky enough to still have a job. Uh, I'm going to yeah. go with you, Joe. I'm going to go with your numbers on that. I will say, and I think you backed me up on this, uh, they're an ethnic group that's a huge asset in our country. They're some of the most hardest working people I've ever met in my life. And I think they are more upset by the illegal immigration uh, than anyone gives them credit for. And that is why Donald Trump picked up so much of the Hispanic vote. He knows they weren't being anti-Hispanic. There's a problem at the border where a lot of Hispanics are coming in, but it's not because they're Hispanic. It's because of lack of security and the impoverished nations in which they're fleeing. And some have evil intentions because it's porous. That's where the fentanyl comes through. That's where the contraband comes through. That's where MS-13 is. Uh, thanks, Joe. Uh, Jamie, WVMT in Vermont. Jamie. Hey, good morning, Brian. Um, so I'm, uh, I, I just, I'm going to comment about what the mayor was saying about the mask mandate and, yeah. and seeing people for it. Like when, you know, he was talking about socialism and, and how we're leading to that direction. But when do we stop the government from reaching in and telling us how to live? Like we've got because they want to protect us, they say, with the seatbelt laws. And in most states, you have to wear helmets on motorcycles. But nobody stops me from buying a hundred dollars worth of McDonald's every night. And and the country is in a, a, a epidemic of of obesity, right? So when do it better stop soon, Jamie? I, I'm just as worried as you are. It better stop soon. You know who tried to do that? Mike Bloomberg tried to do that. He tried to regulate the size of our soda. And how much junk food we were eating. No wonder he's not president. But I'm as concerned as you are. And I'm all, I'm, um, that's where I differ from the mayor. I'm with the governor. I can make decisions. I understand it. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. I don't want you to miss a minute of this. Shannon Bream is uh, is here with us. She's got a brand new book out. Uh, she always has a lot to say, too, and I mean that in a good way. And Matt Doherty will be joining us. You remember Matt? He was a star at University of North Carolina, went on to coach there. 
He has a great book out. You know, you know the NCAA tournament starts. Uh, rebound from pain to passion. Leadership lessons uh, learned. So Matt Dory is going to be joining us. Like me, grew up on Long Island, but uh, unlike me, was an awesome athlete. Uh, so it would be great to talk to Matt. Uh, also, I know people that knew Matt, and he's just a quality person. Um, so we'll take your calls, too. I promise to weave that in. We'll also get more to know uh, at some point today. So let's find out uh, what the big three is. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine yeah. or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Policy based <laughs> on conjecture. No, you it, have the It isn't based on conjecture. I love that. Uh, here we go again with the theater. Uh, the year we shut down the country, the damage, the misinformation from people we counted on to give us great leadership and good information. It all played out in a way on the Senate floor with Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci. Uh, by the way, the pandemic, we're a year through it. What if, what's different for you now? Number two. So you know Vladimir Putin. You think he's a killer? Mm-hmm. I do. I'm also mm-hmm. hearing deep concern with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States, economic coercion toward our allies. Ooh, we're off to an interesting start, aren't we? Uh, man, man, not easy, but he did it. The Biden administration ignited explosive clashes with our two big enemies, China and Russia, in one day. I thought they were supposed to be the savvy, steady hands on the global stage. Number one. They would be partners in dealing with the crisis on the border. You said crisis on the border. Is, is, was that a... Challenges crisis? on the border. That's not, that doesn't reflect any change in nope. administration's view of things. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I just said I made a mistake, but I'll act nonchalant. No one will ever pick up on it. Oops. Saki slips and tells the truth. She accidentally admitted we're in a full-blown crisis at our southern border. The numbers, the facts... What Mexico's doing and how they're maximizing their leverage, that story coming your way. But first, here's Shannon Bream. She's excited. Always great to have her on Friday. But her book is uh, her book is now out. It's called The Women of the Bible, The Wisdom of 14 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Hi, Shannon. Brian, you must have a time machine. Because March 30th is a day. It's a, I don't want people scrambling around looking for it, Come showing up at your house asking oh, so for Oh, so it's coffee. March 30th. March 30th, not yet, but I like the way that you build the excitement. Wait, two weeks. Yeah, a week from Tuesday. But you can pre-order it, right? Yeah, you can pre-order it. I love doing that on Amazon so that the day the book comes out, it actually shows up. Don't have to go anywhere, don't get germs, none of that stuff. I understand, and I know you're worried about that, uh, about germs. <laughs> what a show. I mean, I watched every minute of your, uh, the repeat of your show getting ready for this one, and uh, mm-hmm. man, there was a lot going on yesterday, to tell you the truth. I like to start with the clash with Rand Paul and uh, and Anthony Fauci. First off, let's set this up. Anthony Fauci's been wrong a lot, right? That's true. I mean, he has changed and modified his position over time, and I don't think that he denies that because we have the sound bites and um, we have video of these said changes. Uh, so, yeah, there have been some changes of position. But along the way, he's hurt us in a major way. Six feet? I meant three feet. Really? Because my school's shut down because we have no room for six feet distances. Oh, my kid only goes to school half a day because of the three to six feet differences. We're going off a a, uh, hypothesis that's 100 years old 
as opposed to the study that came out in Massachusetts that nobody was talking about until it was brought up on one of the Sunday shows. Shannon, that's not the way you do policy, right? Well, I mean, it's frustrating because when things seem to shift and change, I think that a lot of people feel that somebody who is in a position like Dr. Fauci should give us facts, and that's it, as we know them at the time. Um, And there are real concerns that he seems to be political um, and seems to have some not-so-kind words for the Trump administration on the way out the door. Um, And, uh, you know, the the elites love him because of that, and so they're going to listen to what he has to say, um, feeling that he's, quote, on their side politically. So, uh, I, I mean, I, as usual, most of the media thinks Rand Paul is way out of line. I don't. He got vaccinated. He should not be wearing two masks. That's a bad example. Here's a little of the clash. Cut 21. You're and- telling everybody to wear a mask, whether they've had an infection or a vaccine. What I'm saying is they have immunity, and everybody agrees they have immunity. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine yeah. or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, it's not. You had the vaccine and you're wearing two masks. Isn't that theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Let's get down to the facts. When you talk about reinfection and you don't keep in the concept of variance, that's an entirely different ballgame. That's a good reason for a mask. What proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants? None in our country. Zero. And I could go on. But he's right. Anthony Fauci walking around with two masks is the wrong message. Telling us we can sit in a, uh, we can, first we can't and then we can when he got blowback to go visit other vaccinated people, grandparents who want to visit their grandkids. The chances of reinfection, if you look at the Israeli study and their results, 96% chance you're not carrying the virus if you've been vaccinated already. If you tell someone you have 96% chance of people having success at something, most of us take that. We can't live within his constraints, Shannon, or don't you feel it? Well, and, and you think about Dr. Marty McCary with Johns Hopkins um, on Fox a lot, and he's talking about how there are hopeful things and they keep moving the goalposts, and you can't keep people going on nope. at this drag on their mental health, their um, ability to earn a living, their kids being in school. I mean, it's been a year of people being um, on a roller coaster. And he's like, listen, there's all this positive and hopeful news. We should be telling people about that, not coming up with a new doomsday scenario every week. Um, how do you expect people people to get vaccinated and to want to be behind that effort if you tell them, but you're not getting your life back as you knew it, Um, you know, even if you get fully vaccinated and wait the two to four weeks. Um, He's saying the science and the data just does not support that, just like um, Rand Paul was saying yesterday. He is a medical doctor. He reads these studies. He's had coronavirus himself. Um, So I think he's got a position to speak as well. Um, But what we need is just factual information, not politicized by either side. And you know, even the CDC and the WHO have conflicting information on some things and are now getting more aligned when it comes to the three feet and that kind of thing. Um, but about masks and everything else, people feel like they've been jerked around. And when they see their political leaders who are telling them lockdowns, masks, distance, no friends, uh. no grandparents, no school, and then they see them showing up at their hair salon or French laundry or on a plane not wearing a mask, it's very hard to get the American people to feel like, A, that you respect them, B, that you're in the sacrifice with them, or C, that you actually believe what you're telling them. If you thought all those things were going to kill people or risk your own life, you wouldn't be doing them.
Yeah, uh, and listen, the great news is the numbers are going down here. Yeah. In a, they're going down like a, like a rocket ship in a good way. And the vaccinations, we're getting better at them every day. We're mm-hmm. ramping up, and it, that's great news. I don't understand what's happening in Europe. I'm a little confused about what's happening uh, over there. Uh, that's a learned community who seem to be on the same page, but I cannot believe they are locking down like it's 2020. In Germany, in France, they're locked down through Easter in Italy again. So my hope is that's not a canary in a coal mine for us, and I don't think it is because the vaccine's changing everything. So um, uh, I want to pivot if I could, Shannon. First off, I got to ask you real quick because I'm going to ask our listeners this. Biggest difference as you come out of the pandemic, what's the main difference in your lifestyle that you will choose to change about your lifestyle once everything opens up? Anything? Um, I cannot wait to get back to sporting events. The minute that happens, I will be so excited to go scream my lungs out at a college football game yeah. um, with, you know, the sticky floors and the beer and the, the popcorn and the craziness. I mean, that's what I'm really looking forward to the most, for sure. And do you think that are you going to look at it work out of your home more now that your show is going to be on at midnight? Or are you going to be doing more shoots, less shoots? Are you taking more uh, vacation? What are you doing? I am going to wear pajamas more while I'm doing the show because it's in my house. <laughs> Why not? Just throw a blazer over it. I think it's going to be fine. Um, I am super excited to see my parents. Now, listen, I have seen them throughout this pandemic. We've been very careful, but I just could not stay away from my family for a year. They didn't want that. We knew the risks. We were careful. Now my parents are fully vaccinated. I'm going to see them for Easter. And I feel like I can hug them without worrying for 14 days whether one of us has made each other sick. I'm not really worried about me, but them. Um, so I think it'll just be so nice to, you know, have an Easter meal and go to church and the whole thing. And, you know, I'm so thankful they're vaccinated and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to seeing your parents too. Although I haven't met them. You haven't, I'm why Listen, you, why they're you just down the part. road from you in Florida. So if they okay. drop in coming, looking for the book, because you've told them it's already out, they're going to show uh, up at your house. So you're right. Now I'm going to go see them shortly. We'll talk yeah. about you behind your back. So let's go, let's <laughs> like really impress say. them with our knowledge of international relations. Stop okay. one. The calm, cool, and collected, and the experienced Joe Biden. The last thing he wants to do is poison the well with one of our adversaries before getting out of the box, before he's even done with 100 days. That's why he said this, cut 11. He will pay a price. I, we had a long talk, he and I. We've, I, I know him relatively well. And I, the conversation started off. I said, I know you and you know me. If I establish this occurred, then be prepared. You said you know he doesn't have a soul. I did say that to him, yes. And to end, his response was, we understand one another. I wasn't being a wise guy. I was alone with him in his office. That's how it came about. It was when <laughs> President Bush had said, I've looked in his eyes and saw a soul. I said, look in your eyes, and I don't think you have a soul. By the way, that's always way to endear somebody to you. Listen, maybe it's true, but I mean, what? how, how do you come back from that? <laughs> actually standing there and he said they were alone or they were at least a private there's conversation there's no way he, he said that to Putin, oh, you have no soul i mean like i don't know if there's an interpreter i know putin speaks some english i don't think most of us including president biden speak russian i could be wrong about that but i can't imagine that putin wouldn't have like karate chopped you in the throat right on the spot who <laughs> said that 
I don't know. I mean, you know, he is one of these guys who, um, meaning President Putin, he's all about his image and macho. Yeah. And um, I don't think he likes being publicly challenged. I, I think you, you know, listen, President Trump was hard on people and would call out um, Putin and Xi and Kim Jong-un and everybody else publicly. So I think there's a way to do it. But, um, you know, Putin does not want to be thrown under the bus. And, and he went and crazy. Over. He took back his He's ambassador. So mad. First time in decades. And I think we have Eric. Do we have the translation of what Vladimir Putin did or said about Joe Biden? Let's listen. I remember in my childhood when we argued in the courtyard, we used to say it takes one to know one. As he said, we know ah. each other personally. What would I reply to him? I would say, I wish you health. I wish you health. I say that without any irony or joke. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> By the way, I believe that Russian interpreters should have a Russian accent. So that was that guy, that guy might as well have been British. Who did if that? They it sounds sound like, too much like us. Then I'm like, I'm not sure it's legit. You I'm know? like, he, Vladimir Putin's never sounds so nice. I know he sounds palatable with that <laughs> nice American accent. But here's my question: Why are we being nice to places like Iran? Why? Why are exactly. we like, let's get back to the table? I'm going to loosen sanctions. Like, why are we doing that with Iran? Um, and then we're out there. This thing with China did not start off well yesterday. Um, you're basically challenging Putin to a schoolyard fight. Um, I'm just confused. But you know, every new administration has to find their footing on um, foreign policy. Right. But we've always been told that President Biden that was one of his areas of expertise. I and listen, he does have years of experience as a exactly. senator and vice president in that. So he's not coming into this cold. Right. He's got uh, a plan. Exactly. Uh, let's, uh, I don't know if we can listen to all of it, but uh, here's Anthony Blinken. And I, I like this stance. I'm surprised. They were, they were, it was like a WWE match yesterday in Alaska. Maybe it's like that today, too, in day two. Chinese delegations and the U.S. delegation meet for the first time. Cut 12. I'm also hearing deep concern with actions by China, including in Xinjiang. Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States, economic coercion toward our allies. Each of these actions threaten the rules-based order that maintains global stability. That's why they're not merely internal matters and why we feel an obligation uh, to raise these issues uh, here today. And they so very direct. And then they came back. We even have an interpreter there that even sounds more American. Let's listen. Oh, yeah, we, we have it. Well, the Chinese delegation was not happy about this. They were incensed that they were they offered 20. They sanctioned 22 separate Chinese officials for what they did in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And now uh, this is their response to the, the tone of the, the new American administration. China is firmly opposed to U.S. interference in China's internal affairs. We have expressed our staunch opposition to such interference. And we will take firm actions in response. So it goes on. I'm very surprised. I want to be tough on China. I just, you know, you got to have a strategy. What's the strategy? I mean, number one, they want us out of the South China Sea. The minute we do that, Taiwan's gone. Are we willing to go to war with Taiwan uh, for Taiwan? This is a fascinating time. Very interesting. It is. And apparently there was some kind of um, back and forth with, um, I don't know, the Chinese officials suggesting something about BLM or unrest yeah. in the U.S. and like your own people don't even trust you. I'm like, why are we not saying, how about you stop, you know, killing and torturing millions of Uyghurs who are there? I mean, there are so many things that are ridiculous that they say to us. Um, and 
we have to be tough on them. But there's got to be a way to find some middle ground because they're a superpower, and we have to do power. Uh, we have to do business with them. We have a lot of business uh, entanglements back and forth between the China and U.S. I mean, that's that's got to be um, negotiated and massaged. But I do like that Secretary of State Blinken is sort of you know saying, listen, you got to respect us. You're breaking norms, and we're not just going to roll over. I think that's the position we want from any administration. Well, I really enjoyed our talk, Shannon. We're going to watch you tonight at Did 11. You? Shannon Bream, I, I loved it. Shannon Bream, <laughs> put you, go back to night. your pajamas. You were nice to get dressed for radio. Back in a moment with your calls. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, let's try to get in a couple of calls. Uh, Steve, you're listening in Mobile, Alabama. Steve. Hey, Brian. Uh, Outstanding point about the Cuban immigration and what happened in 76. I grew up down there uh, in Jupiter, Florida, and and I watched it as a young child. But, uh, you know, immigration is your your point about what the Cuban refugees did as opposed to what's going on now was excellent. The second thing is this whole uh, racial rift that is made up. I'm, I mean, I, I live between New Orleans, Mobile, Pensacola, and the Gulf Coast is blessed, obviously, to have such a diverse uh, population. Mobile is 52% uh, black, but yet you don't see riots, nope. any consternation going on. And I know it, it's here, and I know racism exists, but here in the South, we're more interested about working than <laughs> – Exactly. Worrying about what's going on. But I think it's certainly between the Russians and China. I think they're not only dividing and trying to divide the parties, both Democrat, Republican, but also I think they're a lot behind this continuing white supremacy. Exactly. Exactly, Steve. They realize they're trying to turn us on each other. We're doing a good job playing into it. Thank you, Steve. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 32 seconds to go. A one-point lead for Georgetown. Gordy to Black. The time, 18. Shot. Jordan. Michael Jordan. 14 seconds. Oh, he threw to the wrong man. Fred Brown, somehow or another, threw the ball into the hands of James Worthy. Look at Dean Smith. Totally in control. Everybody going crazy. And Georgetown loses it. North Carolina has won the 1982 NCAA championship. 
And that goes Georgetown, uh, Patrick Ewing's Georgetown uh, Hoyas. But the better story is Dean Smith got his national championship. Matt Darty played a key role in that team. He went on to coach at New University of North Carolina, University of Notre Dame, uh, and uh, just an outstanding uh, player. On Long Island, growing up on Long Island, right by him. I heard all about him. I remember him well. We actually graduated at the same time. I graduated in 82 from CW Post, a much more prestigious university in North Carolina. And he went on to a national championship, and I didn't uh, because I played soccer. Rebound is the name of his brand new book. It's From Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons Learned. Uh, Matt, uh, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, it is really an honor. I, I listen to your show often, um, and I really admire I didn't realize you wrote uh, George Washington's Secret Six till. Uh, a couple weeks ago. That's one of my favorite books. Um, thank you for putting that together. And um, yeah, you know, the connection, East Meadow, Massapequa, um, you know, you've had great success. So thank you again. So yeah, Matt, a couple of things. It happened in our backyard, which is found fascinating. They never taught us it in school uh, because his spy no. ring was in Long Island. And then we did something on Fox Nation. So and there's more revelations, and I believe they're going to make an announcement. They found another George Washington letter. Uh, they're going to be announcing that soon, I think. Uh, more revelations on Fox Nation on George Washington's uh, spy ring, so if you guys want to get that. But, Matt, growing up, I mean, when I was reading Newsday, it would be about Matt Daugherty. I mean, not many Long Islanders go to the University of North Carolina and end up being teammates with James Worthy and this guy named uh, Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins. Everybody remember that team. You guys used to stay in college four years. We got a chance to know you. At that time, right? Um, did you know you had that potential when you were young? Were they talking Division One, Matt Doherty, when you were in eighth and ninth grade? Well, you know, Brian, growing up, and I, I, I've just shared this with another great player uh, uh, from St. Agnes, Mike Palmer. Uh, we connected on LinkedIn because I mentioned him in my in my book. You know, growing up where we grew up at that time was an awesome experience because you had so much to, to choose from. I had the Nets, the Knicks, the Islanders, the Rangers, the Knicks, uh, you know, the, the, the Giants, the Jets, Mets, Yankees, um, you know, the Mets, the Yankees. So we had a sport for every season and we had great coaches and great families and parks and the beaches. And so you all took was a ball and a dream. And, you know, in fourth grade, I fell in love with basketball. I went to Gus Alfieri's All-American Camp at, at St. Anthony's. And um, I just dreamed about playing in the NBA, playing in college basketball. And, and fortunately, I had people like my family and Bob McKillop, who was my high school coach my first two years now, the legendary coach at Davidson College, and then Dick Zeitler, that supported those dreams. And, um, you know, fortunately, I grew to be 6'7". That helped, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I dreamt about it, and I had great mentors, great great upperclassmen at Trinity that kind of led, you know, led me, um, you know, showed me the path. And uh, was blessed because it was a dream, just a dream come true to play basketball at the University of North Carolina and win a national championship for Dean Smith. And, you know, people that played for him and got a chance to know him just worshipped him in a game in which there's so much screaming going on with coaches, not necessarily screaming at you, they could be screaming for you. He never seemed like that. What about his, no. his, what did you take from him as a leader, coach, mentor? Well, I, I, I wish I took more at the time. Um, he, 
he was such a smart, like, don't underestimate how intelligent he was. You know, like he could have run IBM. He could have run Goldman Sachs. He could have, he was that smart and understood emotional intelligence. You know, uh, he was very emotionally intelligent, knew how to motivate people and treat everyone as a coach does, a good coach does, treats everyone fairly, but everyone different. And and I think he could push the buttons on different players mm-hmm. to get them to do things to help the team win. But ultimately, he was a servant leader. When When he died, a month later, every former player got a letter from his estate with a check for $200 that said, take your family out on Coach Smith. Thank you for, you know, being a part of his program. Are you kidding? That's no. unbelievable. No. Uh, yeah. 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 So, so yeah, Bill, I, I was reading the letter. I'm like, this is, this is really weird, but it, it, it's, that's the kind of servant leader he was, Brian. So, so Matt, I got so much to talk to you about, but first off, knowing that this is a leadership book rebound and you talk about your highs and your lows and then what you learn from it and where you're at now. First off, I, we all watched the Jordan special look back at his final season we saw that's a method of leadership. What did you take from Jordan, who was, I think, a year younger than you, uh, and you had Worthy right. and Perkins and all these great players on the team already? What did you take from a young Michael Jordan? Well, I think, Michael, um, the thing that and, – and I'd say this to my players. Listening is a talent, okay? He was a great listener. Now, that, that sounds very simple, but – just think about that. How many times do you, as a coach or in your studio, hey, can you do this? Sure. And people forget or they don't concentrate. His ability to absorb information and then apply it on the court. He was a very smart player that just happened to be one of the best athletes in the world. And and you fit in on that team and were a vital member of that team. Right there, I would have been enough to go hang out at the sports bar the rest of my life and go, look what I did. But Matt wasn't done yet. So, Matt, you move on. When did you realize you wanted to coach? Well, I, I, I Brian, you played soccer, and yep. you probably re- remember the last time they told you, you, you know, it was over, whether it was in college or maybe you've tried to play pro or, you know, and that, that love affair you have with that sport, it's real. And so when I was told by the Cleveland Cavaliers that, you know, hey, you're done, I took that as, a, as like a, someone who wanted a divorce. And so I'm like, screw you. And I say this in the book, screw you, basketball. I'm going to go make my name on Wall Street. So I go to Wall Street, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sell bond yields. I'm like, what? And then March rolls around, and everyone's bringing out their sheets, their, their brackets, and <laughs> – I'm like, man, you know, what do these coaches have on me, right? But I still wasn't all in. And then I moved to Charlotte. I quit my job, thought I was going to get in the real estate business. And a gentleman I worked for had an AAU team, and he asked me to coach his eighth-grade team. And as soon as I did that, Brian, it just felt right. And then Bob McKillop um, left Lutheran High School in, in Brookville to become the head coach of Davidson. And I was living in the Charlotte area, and um, he asked me to join his staff. And, and, and 11 years after I left Wall Street, I became the head coach at Notre Dame. Wow. And I and, tell kids all the time, 
you know, your life is nothing but a series of decisions and dealing with the consequences. And the better decisions you make, the better your life will be. So uh, just truly blessed to climb that ladder. And an Irish Catholic kid from Long Island being the head coach at Notre Dame was pretty cool. So then you get a call from and Bill Guthrie, who Guthridge, who's replacing Dean Smith. Uh, he's leaving, and you decide yeah. to make the move on Dean Smith urging, and you become a coach yeah. of the University of North Carolina, and immediately you have success. How great yeah. was that? You're in your playing at North Carolina, the most prestigious position in college sports, and coaching the team, thriving in the national spotlight. Did you feel like you've arrived? You're going to be there 20 years. Oh, I was I was almost forty, so you know maybe thirty years. And and be, you know, a friend of mine said, "Hey, how do you feel that you're never going to lose? You're going to win twenty games a year for the rest of your life, you know, and and have a chance to win a national championship every year, and maybe be a Hall of Fame coach, and you know, be, you know, right. quite frankly, I was the national coach of the year. No one was hotter than me at that time, Brian." And then two years later, I was forced to resign. What did you do wrong, and what did you do after? Yeah, well, I, what I did wrong was I didn't manage Coach Smith well enough, really. I think that that was, that was my biggest mistake. Um, you know, he was still in the building. Um, he cast a big shadow. Uh, he, you know, when I was being recruited to take the job, I had three things I needed answered. One, could I bring my staff with me Two, um, you know, would it be my program to run and three, uh, you know, my first year would be good. My second year would be bad. My third would be rebuilding. Do they understand that? And I got yeses on all those, but really that wasn't the case. And, and I should have understood that better. And, and the emotional intelligence part, I didn't manage that. I should have let coach Smith run the program through me. You know, and and uh, but I got the job in July, you know, and people that understand college basketball, you know, that's late. That's in the middle of the recruiting sure. period. So um, I was going 100 miles an hour and I made some changes. Managing change is an art. And, and, and I didn't manage change properly. I think that's the biggest thing that I take away. And I I went on a leadership journey. You know, the, the beautiful thing about team sports, Brian, as you know, we learn like to deal with failure. Like that sounds kind of twisted, right? But like we've dealt with failure. We've dealt Every day. with setbacks. We've Every dealt day. with adversity. So when that happens in the real world, that when you're an adult in your job or in your family, you're like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to watch the film and get better. So I said, all right, they accused me of being a bad leader. I'm going to go on a leadership journey and I'm going to get better. Because leadership is the most important, most important topic in, in any organization, but it's never formally taught. So and you so went on, I'm that's amazing. See, you actually went to school to the Wharton School and the University of Virginia Darden Graduate School of Business and to become a better leader. Right. That's right. I took executive courses. I didn't take, you know, I didn't get MBAs, but I took executive leadership courses there. Yes. Yeah, I want to get better. And the most exciting right. thing I read, and, and, you know, you write books. You know, someone once said, the thing that has the most impact on your life are two things, the people you meet and the books you read. And I read this book, The uh, Primal Leadership, The Art of Emotional Intelligence. I'm looking at it right now on my bookshelf by Dan Goldman. 
And in that book, it said, leadership is a learned behavior. And when I read that book, it gave me hope that I could be a better leader because my leadership was dragged through the mud in a press conference at UNC after I resigned. So, um, yeah, so that's what this book's all about is rebounding from failure. And how do you rebound? And the pain of losing my job because they questioned my leadership became my passion to study leadership. And now I'm an executive coach for uh, Vistage, which is the world's leading uh, executive coaching firm. I do corporate talks. Um, I work, wow. you know, one-on-one. Uh, and so that's my team. That's my fulfillment of, I still coach. It's just now I coach business executives. Rebounds, the name of the book, From Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons Learned by Matt Darty, forward by this guy named Michael Jordan. Uh, what a life. And it, you're always learning and admit when you have some liabilities and attack your weaknesses. Uh, that's part of what you learn in sports. Sports isn't a game. It, it's, it's life on hyperspeed. And what you learn, you mm-hmm. win, you get benched, you start, you win, you lose. Bad refs, bad field, bad court, bad crowd. Overcome it. And that's what a lot of people can relate to, especially with this pandemic. Things are out of your control. Well, how are you going to act? That's why this book came off on a perfect, perfect time, because we're hopefully looking on the other end of this pandemic. Everyone needs to rebound. Matt, great talking to you. I look forward to seeing you face-to-face one day. I'd love to, Brian. You really enjoy your show. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. You got it. He's 6'7". I'm not. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, guys, welcome back. Thanks so much for listening. I got to find out if there is indeed, maybe there isn't, more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Here we go. It's showtime. 98% of AMC movie theaters are reopening. What they need now is movies and people. The question, guys, is I like going to the movies. Do you still think people will go after we got all the new movies on Netflix and HBO Max and everything else? I think so. There's so many more movies that have been they're holding on to. Really? Yeah, you got the new James Bond movie that's been delayed several times, a couple of for shooting issues, but also because of the pandemic. You've got a, a, a bunch of Marvel movies coming out, which are always guaranteed blockbusters. Oh, I, I, didn't know. I thought they couldn't shoot anything. So no, a lot of these movies, of these movies oh. were in the can already. Oh, okay. They really still have it on film in cans. Next, Ford to eliminate individual deaths from many workers after pandemic subsidies. Yeah, that's the problem. Too many people were doing paperwork at their desk. Thanks. I don't know why my pockets are bulging. Maybe because I can't put anything down. Everything will look different, I they look say. I look forward to. I want, to, I want <laughs> this work atmosphere. I want to lounge out on a couch. And what the hell's going on? Everything will look different, according to these wildcat white-collar employees. Ford Motor Company, after months of spending weekdays at home, many individual deaths will be replaced with common spaces. Fantastic. Everything is mine, which mine is mine. Yours. Next. Connecticut rolls back most COVID restrictions, expands vaccine eligibility as cases and hospitalizations drop. You know why? Because they stop adhesing themselves to Cuomo. They're doing it on their own. What Neanderthals? How dare they copy Texas? They did such a great job. They really did. I mean, they focused on the elderly, the most vulnerable. Yeah. I wish we had that type of leadership here. Right, listen, uh, who knew what this guy Lamont was so good? Next, indoor dining capacity increases to 50% in New York City and New Jersey, 75% in New York. 
lift the curfew. Next, Senate confirms Xavier Becerra, totally unqualified as HHS secretary. He got a 50-49 vote. Not one Republican thought he was good enough. He's not even qualified. He's not even a doctor. He's going to there just to keep the screws on the American people. I digress. Well, yeah, apparently uh, Susan Collins was the only Republican to vote in favor of his confirmation. New York Post editorial board Joe Biden should fire John Kerry for being a maskless Neanderthal. Quote, we must have missed the exception in President Biden's week one executive order requiring masks for interstate travel and letting TSA agents bump maskless travelers. But this is John Kerry. Do you know who I am? Privilege. I love it. Fire him, Joe. Never happened. I'll tell you what really annoys me. There are so many people that have gotten in trouble and booted off airplanes for taking their mask off to eat, which there, if you're, if you're serving food on an airline, which means you have to take the mask off, they get booted, or they're kicking families off because a three-year-old can't wear a mask, but he can, he can take it off and it's okay. Next, Biden's White House fires staffers over past marijuana use. What? Dozens of young White House staffers have been suspended, asked to resign or place a remote work program due to past marijuana use. Frustrated staffers were pleased by initial indications from the Biden administration that recreational use would not be immediately disqualifying. The policy has been affecting staffers whose marijuana use was exclusive to one of the 14 states. I had not heard anything about this, but to me, it's so tone deaf. They're passing legislation to reform marijuana sales in this country. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, this is uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Listen anytime, anywhere. Thanks, guys. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.